Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Having problems with finances or with your health or upcoming problems with the relatives during the holidays? The solution, brainstorming, but not the way most groups brainstorm. I'm going to say that you could get a box of them and you could go stand in front of Barnes & Noble and try to sell them in front of Barnes & Noble. Greg Paxson of the consulting group Visionary Horizons. He was talking about this novel I wrote. Let's go to Jill Graskwitz of Club 60. She looks at a special holiday card which somebody gave her that might help to connect better with their friends. Or with your parents over dinner where you could make a quick get out if you needed to. Then Kendall Boyson will help you to untangle some strings. When you say always or never, it's a clue that you may be thinking in absolutes. Yes, Kendall is talking about the strings of your emotions. We'll hear Kendall in a few minutes on encouragementology. Up next, we'll examine the illness everyone is tired of hearing about, COVID-19 and brain fog. And a survey shows that seniors get a headache when choosing health insurance plans, and there is a good chance that marijuana will be demoted from a Schedule 1 drug to Schedule 3. The news is next. Homer News, I'm Robert Rickman. The Department of Health and Human Services has recommended the Drug Enforcement Administration that marijuana be reclassified from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 under the Controlled Substances Act. Now, this is a significant shift in U.S. marijuana policy as it is the federal government's first official acknowledgement that marijuana has medicinal value. Now, the DEA must now consider questions of law and policy in a review. And it is highly unlikely that the DEA will reject the HHS recommendation outright. If the DEA suggests change, there will be more hurdles, such as a public comment period, and that will be opened usually about 30 to 60 days. The DEA will then be obligated to review those comments and respond before the rule change takes effect. Almost inevitably, there will be lawsuits that could delay implementation further. We'll keep you apprised of that. Long COVID-19, also known as post-COVID syndrome, can cause a wide range of health problems that occur many weeks, months, and years after recovering from COVID-19 infection. Sometimes symptoms of long COVID-19 can cause cognitive difficulties, brain fog. Now, I had problems with that, as I mentioned many times, so I have to record this program because I have problems reading things and ad-libbing. Anyway, brain fog has been used to describe some of these symptoms. According to a study, higher levels of a certain protein in protein fragment are blamed for brain fog. Another study found that spike protein, which coats the outer surface of the virus, directly eliminates synapses, causing loss of memory and lab rice by causing inflammation. Destroying too many connections between neurons or overpruning may be causing brain fog in long COVID patients. While there's no one-size-fits-all treatment, The cure of these cognitive difficulties might take some time. There are some rehabilitation strategies that can retrain the brain to work on the areas that are most challenging. Typically, it means going to work with a therapist initially once or twice a month, and then getting homework, practicing, so your brain will get supple again, more flexible. And despite the average respondent having the same health care plan for five years, half of those surveyed say reading through it gives them a headache. But 86% of seniors believe they are knowledgeable about their current plan. When asked what terms they need to research, about 25% say words like deductible, 
out-of-pocket limit, and copayment. Those ranked at the top of the list. When thinking about the amount of unplanned money they've spent, seniors feel frustrated. 27% were annoyed, 22% were even worried. And though only 11% of respondents are planning to switch their health care plan during this open enrollment year, which just passed, 79% know when it started. The health status of older Americans varies widely. While many are active and healthy, others are frail and have multiple health conditions. Approximately 92% of older adults have at least one chronic condition, and nearly 8 out of 10 have two or more. However, the percentage of older Americans who smoke cigarettes has decreased over time, from nearly 30% in 1997 to less than 9% in 2022. The percentage of older Americans who are obese has increased over time from 30% in 1997 to 42% for men aged 65 to 74 and 46% for women aged 65 to 74 in 2015 and 2018. Now, the percentage of older Americans with hypertension has also increased over time from 58% in 1999 to 2000 to 67% for men aged 65 to 74 and 74% for women aged 65 to 74 in 2015 to 2018. The percentage of older Americans in fair or poor health was 24% in 2022. The CDC also reports that the number of older Americans who are living independently for longer has increased over time. However, the health status of older Americans can vary depending on factors such as sex, race, ethnicity, poverty status, health insurance status, and marital status. So going from physical health, let's go to emotional health. Think of your emotions as being strings hanging from the ceiling. Uh-oh, the wind of despair blows through the window, and now you have to untangle all of those threads. Relax. Kendall Boyson is here to help. Hi, Robert. On this show, we are untangling our minds as we strive to decode the web of warped thinking and codependency. In the intricate tapestry of human relationships, certain threads can become entangled, creating knots that affect our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Warp thinking, also known as distorted thinking or cognitive distortions, refers to patterns of thoughts that are irrational, negative, and often contribute to emotional distress. Don't worry, there are different degrees of warped, from slightly askew to extreme torque. But here's the good news. Nothing is broken here, and with a little work and a shift in perspective, you can open up a whole new world of thinking. Raise your hand if you've ever had good intentions take a radical turn to manipulation and control. Too soon? Okay, hang in there. Maybe you know something's off, but you're just not sure why or how. It seems like you're always left holding the bag, and things never turn out the way you'd hoped. By the way, just using the words always and never means you're listening at the right time. When left unchecked, warped thinking can become a breeding ground for unhealthy behaviors and relationships. So thanks for checking in and making the commitment to learn more. Let's dive in. At BreakingTheCycles.com, I found some foundational information to get us started. Being able to identify cognitive distortions builds our capacity to be mindful. Here are some. Negative filtering. Magnification. Labeling. Personalization. Black and white or all or nothing thinking. 
negative projections, overgeneralizing, and self-criticism. Let's dig into each of those. Self-criticism is the most pernicious aspect of codependency and low self-esteem. It distorts reality and your perception of yourself. It can make you feel guilty, flawed, and inadequate. Negative self-talk robs you of happiness, makes you miserable, and can lead to depression and illness. Then there's magnification. This is when we exaggerate our weaknesses or responsibilities. We can also inflate negative projections and potential risks. It's also called catastrophizing because we're making mountains out of molehills or blowing things out of proportion. It's driven by insecurity and anxiety and escalates them. Another distortion is minimization, when we downplay the importance of our attributes, skills, positive thoughts, feelings, and events, like compliments. Shame also underlies personalization. It's when we take personal responsibility for things over which we have no control. We might also blame ourselves when anything bad happens as well as take the blame for things that happen to other people. Do you think in absolutes? Things are all or nothing? You're the best or the worst, right or wrong, good or bad? When you say always or never, it's a clue that you may be thinking in absolutes. This involves magnification. If one thing goes wrong, we feel defeated. Do you struggle with projecting the negative? Self-criticism and shame generate anticipation of failing and rejection. The future looms as a dangerous threat rather than a safe arena to explore and enjoy our lives. Overgeneralizations are opinions or statements that go beyond the truth or are broader than specific instances. We might form a belief based on a little evidence or only one example. We can jump from, Mary doesn't like me, to nobody likes me. I was first introduced to codependency seven years before I actually figured it out. <laughs> you know, you get someone telling you, you might be an enabler or you might be codependent and you just table it because you're not really ready to hear it. You're not really ready to embrace it. You know, when I heard some of those traits, I thought, well, I'm just being helpful. I'm goal driven. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of advice. I give it freely. I mean, that's what I thought. I'm just being helpful. I like to make everybody feel comfortable. I introduce everybody not because I'm uncomfortable. I feel like they're uncomfortable. But those were my thoughts. And then, of course, there's reality. And reality looks a little bit different. You know, there are many, many, many characteristics to codependency. And in some cases, it might be an overused word. People hear words like people pleaser or enabler. A lot of times those characteristics are associated with alcohol abuse or supporting an alcohol abuser, or it could stem from childhood trauma. So many people just write off some of those tendencies as just quirks or, like myself, I'm just making everyone feel comfortable. But in reality, it can be a very harmful, deeply rooted, compulsive behavior. But the good news is you can get help for it. And it starts with identifying what's actually going on. If you can't be honest about those behaviors, if you can't see yourself in the moment reacting the way that you're reacting, then you'll never have a chance to redirect those reactions or emotions. 
You know, for me, it's always a knee-jerk reaction. It's the way my brain is wired. And it's not always bad, but taken too far or letting it spiral out of control can really be debilitating. I'm lucky to have a very loving and patient partner who at this age I was completely honest with. It's easy to justify people-pleasing behavior, and it's also easy to victimize that these things are always happening to you. People are taking advantage of this behavior, and it isn't until you do a lot of soul-searching and a lot of work to understand what your role and responsibility is in how you're behaving, the types of boundaries that you set, the type of expectations you communicate to others and to yourself. So the good thing is by having a loving and patient partner and being fully transparent, you can use that as a partnership to help you through some of these behaviors. Because a lot of times when you're having a moment where you're overextending yourself or you're moving from compassion into control and you're stressing over things that have nothing to do with you, it's hard to recognize those in that moment. So I challenge you, untangling the web of warped thinking and codependency is a journey that requires self-reflection, courage, and a commitment to personal growth. Take your time. You're worth it. I know you can do it. Back to you, Robert, and OK Boomer. Thank you very much, Kendall. And you know, I think uh, what happened with COVID, with the isolation, and some people are affected psychologically uh, with COVID if they have long COVID or a rough case of COVID. Does it make things any easier to get those strings out straight again? And you can connect with Kendall at encouragementology.com. That's encouragementology.com. That's where you can get a hold of Kendall. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. Jill Graskwitz, director of Club 60 in Marion, received a very useful gift lately. It was a deck of cards. No, no, not a poker deck, but cards with questions on them, which will help you to better know your family if you play this game. And maybe you don't see them very much. So after the big Christmas dinner with friends, Jill has this recommendation. The next question is, what hobby or activity makes you lose track of time? For myself, I think my daughter knows this, my husband knows this, but I don't know that my parents know this. I like to lay in the pool and stare up at the sky and watch the clouds go by and watch them make different shapes. Another question is, what is your most cherished childhood memory? How about, did your heritage play a role in your upbringing and how so? Maybe, how did you meet your spouse or significant other? And then there are a couple of wild cards in this deck of cards, just like every other deck of cards. And this wild card is, is there something you've always wanted to know? Ask a question of your choice. Dun, dun, dun. Now, (laughs) this could be a make or break for a holiday gathering. So just keep that in mind. You might want to take those wild cards out if you don't want to cause any tension in the room. But I think it would be awesome to play and awesome to ask with a group of friends 
or with your parents over dinner where you could make a quick get out if you needed to. Now, how are you going to find these cards? So these cards were gifted to me, but there is actually a website called Remembering a Life. And on this website, it goes to conversational tools. Under conversational tools, you will find these cards. They are $10 for a pack. They also have have the talk of a lifetime cards with celebrations as the topic. Have the talk of a lifetime cards with kids that is specifically geared towards kids. And um, there's also remembering a life journey cards. And these, you know, range anywhere from $8 to $10. So, so this is a very inexpensive deck of cards to have that will hopefully bring you and your family and your friends a lot of joy in the future. Have a good holiday. Thank you very much, Jill. I think we will. That's Jill Graskwitz, director of Club 60, the senior center located in Marion, Illinois, about 50 miles to the north of where the Mississippi and Ohio rivers come together. Now it's time for Mark Twain. He was known going up and down the Mississippi River as a steamboat pilot. Anyway, he had this quote. Twain allegedly said, history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Edward R. Murrow, one of the great broadcast journalists from the 20th century, examines the election of dark horse Warren Harding and the downfall of President Woodrow Wilson. It will be up to you to determine if any of what you hear rhymes with the events of today. Again and again, my fellow citizens, mothers who have lost their sons in France have come to me and taken my hand and said, God bless you, Mr. President. I advised the Congress of the United States to create the situation that led to the death of their son. Why, my fellow citizens, should they pray God to bless me? Because they believe that their boys died for something that vastly transcends any of the immediate and palpable objects of the war. They believe, they believe, they believe. The address had been given at the fairgrounds in Pueblo. But that night, the president left without visiting the livestock exhibition. He boarded the train for Wichita, but the presidential limited never stopped in Kansas. With shades drawn, halting only to change engines, it hurtled on to Washington. There, a few days later, he suffered an apoplectic stroke. Now he was dying. On March 19th, the Senate dealt the treaty and the League the final death blow. The vote was 15 short of the needed two-thirds majority, with many Wilson supporters voting against the watered-down version. The nation was almost without a president now. The gates of the White House remained closed, the windows dark. The customary flow of visitors dwindled to an occasional pilgrimage by an old friend. His kingdom, his power, and his glory were gone. Perhaps William Allen White put it best. 
With calumny rampant around him, he tasted the ingratitude of his republic, the statesman's ancient cup of hemlock. No wonder that on the high and empty altar, where the flame of his fame was quenched and the cold charred ashes were strewn, he lay helpless while the high priests of the temple cut out his heart. By 1920, Americans had lost one freedom and gained another. By virtue of the 18th and 19th Amendments, it was just as illegal to take a drink as it was to prevent a woman from voting. It was the year after the infamous Black Sox scandal, and it was the big year for Babe Ruth, Manowar, and the Manassas Mauler of the Wall Street bombing and Main Street. Women's skirts were six inches above the ground and going up. So was the cost of living and Republican hopes. And 1920 was the year of the shrewdest prediction in the history of U.S. politics. Mr. Dougherty, you don't really think Harding has a chance, do you? Well, boys, I'll tell you what I think. The convention will be deadlocked. After the other candidates have failed, we'll get together in some hotel room, oh, about 2.11 in the morning, and some 15 men, bleary-eyed, with lack of sleep, will sit down around a big table. When that time comes, Senator Harding will be selected. That was the voice of Harry Doherty, who promoted the Harding boom almost from obscurity and whose uncanny prediction was only 11 minutes off. An exuberant GOP had gone to Chicago to nominate the next president. But by the end of five hectic ballots, no one candidate commanded a majority. The tabulation of the vote for the nomination as president of the United States, Governor Loudon, 289 votes, General Leonard Wood, 314, Senator Hiram Johnson, 119. Then the convention adjourned, the party elders convening in that smoke-filled room. This was the moment for Doherty to trot out his dark horse. So it was that some 30 seconds after 2 a.m., Warren Harding was summoned, and 10 hours later, an excited convention gave him the nomination. Harding, who never considered himself presidential timber, accepted his party's call with the modesty and apprehension of a bewildered gambler, slightly out of his class, who had won the big hand. Well, gentlemen, as we say, I guess we just grew to a pair of deuces and filled. Edward R. Murrow from his Here It Now series. The scratches you hear were from the 78 RPM record that it was recorded on. So, did anything you just heard rhyme with today? It's your call. Your call. Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery. Weird animals and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on the The Off-Ramp. 
Find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show. Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. Tech Time also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, Tech Time is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it. Techtime.it. And if you're looking for a first-class Italian translator, check out Laura Squigna. It's spelled S-G-U-I-G-N-A. Laura Squigna, and you can find her on the Tech Time website under Translators. Do you have a holiday problem or challenge? Maybe not having enough money to buy presents? Or maybe Social Security isn't paying enough to live on? Or maybe you dread having the relatives over? As I say at the end of this program, we all have choices. So, think about problems that need solving. In comes Craig Paxson of Visionary Horizons, a consulting firm. Now, Craig specializes in brainstorming, but with a twist, he looks at all of the negatives, all of the obstacles, all of the impossible barriers to success, and turns them into solutions. So let's go back to 2016, and we talk with Craig. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, let me ask you this. You talk about a cube, and you use it for brainstorming. Is this like a pool, a pool cube or a <laughs> nice cube? Or <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, everybody's heard the expression, think outside the box. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and people are working in boxes and cubicles. How can they do that? Right. So the cube is actually a, a box. I thought... What is this box that everybody talks about thinking outside of? Well, a box, a cube, has six sides. So I came up with the six sides of the cube, the six aspects for group brainstorming that really will help teams unleash their creativity. That sounds like a very good idea because many of the brainstorming sessions I've been in, people come up with a bunch of ideas, but uh, they don't seem to go anywhere. Right. Yes. So, yeah, we've all been in brainstorming sessions, and they're, you know, usually we're just sitting in a meeting, right? And all of a sudden the boss says, hey, people, we need some new ideas. And that's it. And that's really as far as it goes. And, you know, about five minutes later, everybody's thinking to themselves, can we brainstorm with some ideas to end this meeting? <laughs> yeah, right? but that doesn't work either, does it? No, because usually the boss wants to keep on going. Yeah. So, you know, there, there there's... um. There's just a lack of understanding about how brainstorming really works. Uh, we've A lot of people have heard of Alex Osborne and his famous four rules for brainstorming, right? We, we want to get lots of ideas, and the, the big one is don't criticize everybody's ideas, and then try to get some wild and crazy ideas, and then the last one, take other people's ideas and try to build upon them, combine them with new ideas. And 
What's interesting is that it's been proven through research that those rules that Alex Osborne developed don't help groups brainstorm any better. How come? How come? You actually get more and better ideas by brainstorming alone than you do in a group. Wow. Okay. Well, let's take a look at some brainstorming that I've been trying to do for quite a bit of time. Um, I've got your handout right here. All right. I can shake paper like the best of them on radio. Uh, now, I'm not, the, the purpose of this program is not to promote uh, this book I wrote. I wrote a novel. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. Um, it uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about it so that you'll have some idea what I'm trying to brainstorm. Okay. This, this novel goes back into the 1970s where I went to college. And I went to school in an Illinois university. And what happened is that uh, I decided to write a novel about somebody about my age who has messed up his life in the 20th century, is on his way to messing it up on the tw- in the 21st century, and through a strange series of events, he's thrown back into the 1970s where he's going back to the same college he was going to, and then he could start all over again. Uh, and, and I wrote this novel, and it was published, self-published, in 2011, I did get some help from the local media, television and radio, and it was sold in a couple of bookstores, but I I got virtually no help from the university, and that is, there are something like 200,000 graduates still around from this school, but the university didn't help me very much, so, so the novel pretty much faded out as far as sales. What I want to do is light a fire under the sales and get it started over again. And so okay. I so I filled out your better brainstorming using the Creativity Cube challenge. Okay. And what I wrote down, uh, you had, in what ways might we dot, dot, dot. So I filled it in. Sell okay. more copies of my novel and use this book to make paid public appearances. Okay. And then you... Ha- challenge. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's pretty basic, and it's from, you know, with, with the brainstorming, it's from the head honcho, since I'm the one who wrote the book and I'm marketing it. Right. Um, and then the constraints, constraints, all I could think of were um, resources, lack of a large marketing budget, uh, university not helping promote the book, as I mentioned, and it's self-published. Okay. Well, let's. Let's, uh, let's take your challenge. Your challenge, there, there's some aspects to it. It's every good challenge, right? It, got, it has to be legitimate. You need to, you need to solve it. It has to be authoritative. You are definitely the authority in marketing and selling your book, and it has to be personal, and you definitely have a personal connection to it. Mm-hmm. So your, your challenge, uh, starting out with In What Ways Might We, is a good challenge. Sell more copies of my novel and use this book to make paid public appearances. I'm going to, for the sake of this um, for the sake of this session, let's break your challenge in half and talk about in what ways might we sell more copies. That sounds like a really nice challenge. Okay, it does. That's, that's a great challenge. It's very, it's very doable. Let's talk about your constraints. Uh, every challenge has constraints, right? You don't have an, nobody has an unlimited amount of money or time or knowledge. So let's talk about your, your constraints. The first one that you have is lack of a large marketing budget. Can we get specific? What is your marketing budget? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I just started Social Security. <laughs> I, I work on the weekends at a black ops operation. So okay. my marketing budget is well below a million dollars a month. Oh, 
Okay. So let's. <laughs> what do you want to say that your marketing budget is? Oh, I don't know. I I would say I could probably, at the best of times, squeeze out four hundred. Okay, so we'll say four hundred dollars is your uh, is your budget. Yeah. And then I'm going to ask a question. In what time frame do you want to sell more copies? Are you talking about in the next 30 years or like tomorrow? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I have no conception of that, meaning okay. um, I, would, I would like to sell these more copies, but I would think that I would need to put an arbitrary uh, time on this uh, because I, I have no clear-cut thinking as to what's reasonable. Okay. I think it, it's it's very important um, whenever we do a challenge, if there is any kind of a time constraint that we think through it, because we're going to utilize something here in a moment called Challenge and Constraint Busters, and these are tools that are going to help us generate better ideas. So I'm just going to pick an arbitrary number. We're just going to say 30 days. You want to sell more copies of your book in the next month. That That's quite reasonable. Okay. All right. So here's now, you know, Normally, brainstorming is a group effort. So you would have, you know, five, eight people in a room brainstorming about something. And that obviously isn't really going to happen with just you and I. So you and I are going to brainstorm ourselves. And a lot of times brainstorming ends up being a, a, a lot of quiet time. People throw out ideas and there's 10 seconds of silence and somebody throws out another idea and then immediately there's another one and then there's three minutes of silence. <laughs> we, don't want to, we don't want to have silence on the radio, obviously. So no, we'd be playing just, too, much, too many commercials. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to, we're going to brainstorm really quickly. Okay. Only, only using the challenge. How might you sell more copies of your novel? So I just want to think of, let's think of really quickly five ideas five ways that you might sell more copies of your novel. Okay, I'm going to think of one. You could sell them door to door. Okay. Um, I could go back to the university and try to get some speaking time or go to the latest homecoming, which would be in the fall, and try to okay. sell them there. Good. Okay. Good. All right. And then uh, I'm going to say that you could get a box of them and you can go stand in front of Barnes & Noble and try to sell them in front of Barnes & Noble. Whoa, that's an idea. Might get me arrested, but that's a good idea. Yeah. Now, you know, we are obviously we're only really talking about two of the six sides here, but we are really looking for, again, Osborne's rules, especially the part about no criticism and wild and crazy, aren't bad rules. They just didn't really set to set the teams or set people up up for successful brainstorming because they don't they don't tell you to make a good challenge and you've made a good challenge and they don't talk about what kind of constraints are there and constraints is where creativity really really comes from constraints so, now exp explain that in reference to what we were just talking about okay can i uh, can i give you an example yeah go ahead or maybe uh, maybe on. maybe can you give me an example relative to this book that we were talking about sure um, let's see, yeah. So, since if you were to tell me that, how can I sell more copies of this of this novel, knowing that I have a million dollars to spend? That's a constraint that is far different than knowing that I have a dollar to spend. Right. Right. And so, it is. It is actually constraints that give us creativity. It's, oh, it's probably, yeah. It's probably easiest if I, if I use a, a different example um, to illustrate it. 
if I if I ask you to t- to tell me a story to make up a story, you don't really know where to go. No. If I ask you to make up a story and give you a scene or a setting, like you know, it's in an old abandoned house, or I tell you I want you to make up a horror story, or I want you to make up a, a funny story. Now you've got a little bit of something to play with. You you can actually have a, a starting place, and it's easier actually to have creative ideas if we have that little bit of a constraint. Well, you, you know what? Some of the great novelists, like Mark Twain, used people who actually lived as characters. Right, yeah. And, and I think that's very, very important. Uh, when I started this radio program, I didn't have any idea what I was going to do because there was no format at all until I made it, and it was very difficult to do. So I understand what you're talking about. So, so we're going to take some of these constraints. Now that we have uh, have brainstormed a few ideas just based on your challenge and what ways might we sell more copies of my novel. We have two really easy constraints that we can bust. We have a $400 budget and we have 30 days. So we're going to use a tool called Scamper. It's one of my favorite tools. It's an acronym and the S stands for substitute, the C for combine, and then adapt and then really the one we're going to use, the M, is maximize or minimize. And then put to another use is the P, eliminate is the E, and then R stands for reverse. So I am going to utilize the maximize, minimize, and reverse with your two constraints and see if that sparks some different ideas. Okay. So let's reverse your, let's reverse your, uh, your budget. Instead of a budget is basically how much we can spend. Mm-hmm. So let's reverse that. Would we, do we spark any different ideas if we say, in what ways may I sell more copies of my novel and people pay me to sell my novel? Well, yes, that, that's a totally different way of looking at it. Right. And, and it's a way that I never even considered, to be honest no. with you. So can we think of so if people are going to pay you to to sell your novel, what, what different ideas could we have now? Well, uh, theoretically, I could get on a commercial radio station and uh, advertise my novel on a program I run. Without, uh, I would be being I would be paid for being on the air, and I wouldn't be paying for advertising time. That's awesome. That, that's awesome. Maybe you could use, so here's another one, affiliate marketing. You pay, somebody else sells your book for you on their website or through their radio program, and then as, as they sell the novel, they pocket some of the money, and they pay you some portion of the money that they have sold the novel for. That's so like uh, you now. That's like radio syndication, yeah. So uh, affiliate marketing. So there, we've just come up with two different ideas because we took your constraint of $400 and we reversed it. Okay, I'm beginning to understand this. Uh, if you have a wide open field uh, with something, uh, you, you really can't be very creative. The restraints are what make you think around the problem to figure Absolutely. out solutions. That's wow. exactly right. 
That's yep. Craig. That we're listening to Craig Paxson of New Salem Consulting, and uh, Craig uh, is talking about creativity and brainstorming, and we're doing some right now about a book I wrote back in 2011. Craig, uh, glad to have you on the program here. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so we, we, we did uh, look at this in a totally different way. What else can you add to it? So let's let's stay, let's stay with your four hundred dollar budget. Okay. And let's minimize that. Let's say you had four dollars to spend, and that's all you had to spend. Now, how might you market your book if you only had four dollars to spend? I could market it on Facebook. Okay, Facebook. So you could do Facebook posts. That's good. Uh, you could. You probably have unlimited minutes on your phone, so you could call every single number in the phone book. Oh, that's an idea. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, so that, let's see. If you only have $4 to spend, how else can you, can you market your book? Oh, man, that's hard. It is hard, but we're, what we're doing is we're stimulating a different part, part of our creative brain. Yeah, I can we're see saying, that. I don't have any money. How can I do this? Now, this comes back, if we were really in a brainstorming session, you and I doing this, We'd be we would pausing. probably set a timer for five minutes. Yeah. We would brainstorm this for five minutes. And it might take us two minutes to think of our very first idea. And then after that, as we did it more and more, the ideas would come faster and faster. Oh. We don't want to wait two minutes, obviously, on air for our first idea to come. But that's the idea. We're, gonna, we're sparking different ideas. We've already got two of them. You've said Facebook posts, which are free, and call everybody on the phone. That's free. You yeah. can spend less than $4 right there. Wow. And I could, I could sneak it on the air here, but I'd have to be careful the way I do it. <laughs> there you go. That's the third idea. <laughs> Now, 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 now let's take your time constraint. We, we said 30 days. We want, to sell, we want to sell copies in 30 days. Yeah. Okay, what about if we had, I'm going to maximize this constraint. What about if we had 365 days? What about if we had a year? What different, what different ideas could you do to sell this thing in a year than what you could do in 30 days? Well, pretty much what I'm doing now, I've got a website, and I'm going to be changing the website around, maybe getting some email subscriptions to it, and cross-advertising uh, on uh, my broadcast website, robertrickman.net, okay. and my uh, novel website, and, okay. and using social media. I'm working on that right now, Twitter and uh, Instagram, and, and I'm taking courses to, to actually learn how to use this stuff more efficiently. So I look at this in a year, and I say probably in the next calendar year, there's going to be some book festivals or oh yeah right um, maybe there's uh, conferences all you know think like you said homecoming that's not in the next 30 days no. so maybe there's events over the course of the next 365 days that could be utilized wow that's that good we wouldn't think about if we said 30 days you're right you're right now, yeah see 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 you know the funny thing is I consider myself a creative person but um, what you've done, uh, the way we've been thinking is, is the ideas have come that I never even considered, and it must be your technique of doing this. It, it definitely, you know, I, I can't claim that I've invented all this stuff. Um, I have taken the work, um, as Newton said, we stand on the shoulders of giants. I have taken the work of several dozen creativity authors and just combined it all together into a framework that is really easy to apply. Mm -hmm. And this stuff works. It, there is scientific academic research behind a lot of this that says that it works. 
and I am I am making a framework that we can apply to solve these kinds of problems. And it's really exciting to see that already we've come up with some different ideas that you wouldn't have considered. Yes, yes. Now, now you're you've got a, a master's degree, don't you? I have a, actually I have two master's degrees. Um, I'm I'm too far educated, I think. You know what they say that you know the, the more you go to school, the the less you learn, or the more you learn about less and less until you finally know everything about nothing. <laughs> I only got a bachelor's, and I qualify for that already. <laughs> well, did your some of your master's um, pro, uh, program? Did your master's program help you with this? You know, it, my first master's degree is in quality assurance, and I began to go into process improvement work, and I still do that. That's still a lot of my consulting business is process improvement. I've seen that and on your part, website. Yeah, and part of part of process improvement is coming up with ideas you know, new ideas that can help you make things better. And so I began to investigate creativity. I started with a book by a, an author called Edward de Bono, Serious Creativity. It's currently out of print, but there's a lot of his books which are in print. Mm -hmm. And that was my first foray into the world of creativity. And it just floored me because I always thought before creativity was painting and music and art, and it was for, you know, artsy-fartsy people. <laughs> and... Even now, I, I kind of get floored because I see a lot of posts in the social media about being creative, and it's things like, you know, take a walk and drive a different way to work. And, Sniff a flower. You know, and, you know, and I, I'm, I say to myself, that may help you be a little bit different, but these, we have specific tools we can use. If we can have a methodology that we can follow to make us creative, that is so much better than just saying, well, take a walk and maybe an idea will come to you. I've taken a lot of walks, and sometimes I have a good idea, but usually when I have a good idea on a walk, it's because I've already been applying some other principles to thinking about it, and the walk is, is kind of like my subconscious is finally coming to life while I'm walking. So, you know, a lot of it is about having a method, and these methods that I've put into the, the Creativity Cube really help drive creative thinking. Now, uh, what, what, I'd, like what? An, I'd like to use another tool. Okay, okay, tool. okay, let's do it. Yeah, so we've been doing constraint busters. When we, when we took the, the method, of, of the, the marketing budget of $400, and we took your 30-day time frame, and we busted the constraints. I want to bust your challenge. This is a different aspect of busting your challenge. Bust the challenge. I want to get... Okay, wait, wait a minute. The challenge. Oh, let me go back to my piece of paper here. All right. Now, the challenge I had was selling more books, uh, actually selling books, sell more copies of my novel, and use this book to uh, make paid public appearances. Now, how do right. we bust that? So let's take, and I want to make this challenge less specific. Okay. So we, we, we're, we're brainstorming about in what ways might we sell more copies of my novel. So let's make this challenge less specific. In what ways might I, this, is, this, this might be a little bit hard to make this challenge less specific now that I think about it. In what <laughs> ways might I uh, need more copies to print? Okay. Okay, that's less specific, right? Because now we're talking about not just selling it, we're talking about any way that I can, that I can that I, where I need more copies in print. Okay. These, so what the, ways might I do some stuff 
where I need more copies in print. Well, immediately that just, I mean, all of a sudden I am just thinking I can give my book away. Okay, I've done that, but I but I still have about 80 copies left to give away. I could okay. continue to do that and, and give it to libraries. I haven't even given it to the local library. Oh, that's a great idea. So what other ways might we need more copies to print? Maybe we could do give copies away through a Facebook drawing. Ooh, that's an idea. Right? What what other ways could we need more copies to print? That 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 is a, that is a great challenge. Again, if we had 5 minutes, we would probably end up with some really good ideas. But what we're working we would definitely I, I mean I I hadn't thought about giving your book away until I said more copies to print. And then I'm like, well, immediately give give some copies away. So we, we sparked a creative idea in my brain just by changing the level of, of abstraction. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can, I can see what you're getting at now, and it seems like it's far more effective than, than let's brainstorm and, and with no real so-called tools to use. Right, exactly. Yes. One of my favorite tools that, I, that I'm kind of struggling to apply to this is called morphological analysis. That's a really big word. And basically what it means is we're going to break the challenge apart into its constituent parts, and we're going to brainstorm on each of those parts. I use a good example of, of in what ways might we grocery shop? Well, what are the component parts about grocery shopping? Well, you have some kind of, you got to get to the grocery store, and then you got to carry your groceries home. So how can we get to the grocery store? We can walk, take a car, take a helicopter. <laughs> we, you know, how can we carry the groceries home? Well, we could carry them in our arms or in our back in backpacks or we could borrow a shopping cart from the grocery store to, to wheel the groceries home in and not return so, it and not, well hopefully return <laughs> it yes we, i'm we're joking just borrow, we're just borrowing okay we, we could use a uh, a wagon a little red wagon like kids used to use in the there old you days go. yeah so that's that's a great example because it's easy to understand the component parts so what are the component parts about sell more copies of my novel so I, I look at the component parts being sales or selling mm -hmm. and a novel. So let's, let's think about this from a, instead of a novel, if we think about the word novel, what are, what are other things that people sell that are not a novel? Apples, Apples cars. Okay, tires, um... Commercials, essential oils. My whole neighborhood's into these essential oil parties. Probably smells nice there in your neighborhood. Uh, it, it very much so. <laughs> so, so if we maybe we so now I've just sparked a different idea. If I was to say, in what ways might I sell more essential oils? Well, how do people sell these things? How do we sell? This is probably more um, instead of essential oils, kind of the same idea. In what ways might I sell more Tupperware? Well, you have parties. Parties. Yeah. Can you have a book? Can you have a book party? That's a possibility if I can get enough people interested. Right. See, so there's a different idea that we sparked by taking the component parts of your challenge and breaking them down and thinking about them differently. Okay. Okay. So again, if we had five minutes, we would just continue on with five minutes of brainstorming about this particular when we changed your challenge. We don't want to have five minutes of you know dead dead air, but that's another idea of how we can do this. If we take sell and we what are what are other things that people do with books? Well, see, we burn books. 
right? And it would make a nice fire, but it's not really what I'd like to see my book do. <laughs> we, what are the other things that people do with books? Well, we, we, we lend books. We uh, wedge things up with books. Okay, awesome. Okay. Um, so, yes, we lend books. Uh, let's just take that one, right? Uh, maybe, you know, we use books to raise, to raise things higher. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, okay. So let's take this. In what ways might we use your book to raise things higher? Are we, well, I don't know what we're talking about. Uh, maybe uh, uh, raise the knowledge of what happened in the 1970s to a higher level among, say, um, a millennium, millennials. Oh. Now you now you just created a different challenge. In what ways might we raise the awareness about the 1970s to the current generation? Well, you could use the usual. Uh, they're into Twitter and Instagram. I hear okay. Instagram is the big deal for them. So that, that so we have that that different challenge may now spark some some even more different ideas mm -hmm. about selling your book. If we can raise the awareness um, of the current generation about the 1970s, maybe that will spark them to want to buy your book. Wow. So again, we, we have, you know, we would brainstorm for five minutes about that, but we have just, we have taken the, the, and we put a brand new spin on your challenge. You know what I'm going to do? I'm busy with the equipment right now and being on the air. I'm going to, I always uh, play back the recordings of these programs. I'm going to play it back and I'm going to have a notepad and I'm going to copy some of this stuff down Good. because I think it's important. Now, now we're starting to run out of time. Do you have okay. any final um, words about that, uh, uh, about specifically brainstorming and, and what we did just uh, in the last few minutes? So there are, we've gone through three or four tools, mm -hmm. scamper and changing the level of abstraction, morphological analysis. There are dozens of tools. One of the tools that, that, that I love to use that I'm not, we won't go through right now, but I'm just going to throw it out there is take a random word or a random object and see how it connects to your challenge. I've, like, I've seen those exercises before. That, yep. that, that, would, that sounds like it's very, um, it would be very effective in getting out solid ideas. Yes. I love using random words. Just throw them into a challenge and see, see how it affects the challenge, see how it affects the brainstorming. In what ways might we sell more copies of my novel? and we throw a random word in there like football and see what kind of new ideas that it sparks about if we force a connection between selling books and footballs. Wow. You know, maybe we're throwing books off of, uh, you know, in a stadium somewhere. Uh, so anyway, that's just another good tool that you can use by yourself, but there's literally dozens of these tools. And I love, all of them have different applications at different points of time. But we can use a lot of tools. It's not just about, well, hey, everybody, let's just, we need some new ideas. No, let's apply a tool. Come up with a good, good challenge. In what ways might we? Figure out what are the constraints because nobody has unlimited time, money, and resources. And then bust those challenges and bust those constraints using the tools that I have to really generate lots of great ideas. It's when you it's when you don't really have a great passion and commitment for what you're speaking about that people get nervous. But if you have that passion for what you're doing and what you're talking about, nervousness just goes out of the door because you can give people really good stuff that's going to help their lives, and that's really what this is all about.
Okay, Boomer. Greg Paxson is a co-founder of Visionary Horizons located in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And that was recorded a few years ago in Nashville, Tennessee. And robertrickman.net will take you to the OK Boomer website. And oh yes, the novel we talked about is Saluki Marooned. And that wraps it up. Thanks to Craig Paxson, Kendall Boise, Jill Grasswoods, Bob and Marcia Smith, and Janice Paul. OK Boomer is produced in the studios of WDBX Radio in Carbondale, Illinois, and is also broadcast on WRFM Radio in Nashville, Tennessee. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you download your podcasts. Also, you can find OK Boomer on Facebook. And once again, check us out on robertrickman.net. And remember, folks, you all have choices.